As Tina pointed out to our children just a few moments ago, this morning we are still talking about Jacob. Let us pray. O Lord, in the midst of our worship, we ask that you would open our hearts to see you, to slow down from the events of the week, from the burdens of our lives, from our busyness, and to hear your word speaking to us in this ancient story. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you're a parent or a grandparent, you know that this is peak season for summer camp. And summer camp has become, like many other things, much more specialized than it used to be. There used to be just camp. Now there's art camp and nature camp. We have youth who are starting band camp this week, and one of our youth I know is going to Latin camp this summer. Our kids went to pirate camp this week. Yeah, pirate camp. And at pirate camp, I was relieved to find out that they do leave out most of the, all of the unsavory elements of piracy. So it's mostly a week of parrots and treasure maps, and of course they spend a lot of time making sure that the kids can say that one word, that guttural word that every pirate needs to know how to say, and I know you all want to say it, so one, two, three, Arr. Yes, pirate camp. And thinking about pirate camp reminded me of this podcast I heard a couple of months ago, and so I listened to it again. It's about a couple of 18th century pirates. This is a true story. Steve Bonnet was known as the Gentleman Pirate. Originally from Barbados, Steed Bonnet became a pirate, not out of any kind of desperation, but purely by choice. He was a wealthy landowner with every conceivable advantage in life. He was comfortable, married with three children at home. And by all accounts that we have of his life, Steed Bonnet went to sea as a pirate to get away from his nagging wife. Bonnet knew nothing about being a pirate, and he made all kinds of mistakes. Instead of stealing a ship in order to sail it, he had one custom-built in the harbor of his town in Barbados. Instead of knowing much about sailing, he knew less about sailing than all of the crew on his ship, so he couldn't bark orders at them. He was constantly asking them all what he should do. And he hired that crew and paid them wages, which every good pirate knows is the wrong way to do it. If you want your crew to fight to the death, you can only pay them in plunder. Predictably, Steed Bonnet was mostly a failure as a pirate. But he did do enough damage along the way in order to get himself hanged, 
And at his trial, he went to his death, insisting upon his innocence on the basis that he was not really a pirate, he was just a regular guy. Along the way, Steed Bonnet did meet some real pirates. He met the famous Blackbeard, who was a real pirate. Blackbeard was indeed violent and ruthless. But even with him, there were small signs of his humanity along the way. In fact, after fooling Steed Bonnet and stealing his custom-built pirate ship, Blackbeard took Bonnet under his wing, seeming to feel sorry for this silly man who was having a midlife crisis. And while Blackbeard did commit some real atrocities, it was always his preference to win peacefully. He would much rather scare people and then take their stuff. One of his favorite tricks was to attack at nighttime. And he would board the ship wearing his long beard and he would attach to it these things called slow matches, which he would light on fire so that he could appear out of the darkness looking like he had just emerged from death. Blackbeard was ruthless. But theater was always preferable to real violence. Blackbeard and Steed Bonnet, these two have something in common other than being pirates, and it's something that we all share too. Pirates, landowners, past or present, doctors, teachers, stay-at-home parents, sisters, neighbors, friends, Whoever we are, most of us spend a lot of time pretending we are something we're not. Time and again, we put on some kind of a figurative costume. Often for us, it's through our cars or our clothes, the jokes that we make, the stories we tell about ourselves. We put up these fronts in the hope that people will see us the way that we want them to see us, rather than seeing us the way that we are. The irony, of course, is that what most of us want more than anything is exactly what we are avoiding. We want people to know and understand who we really are, and to love and accept us. And of course, it is the fear that we won't be loved and accepted for who we are that leads us to pretend we are someone else. God often spends a lifetime trying to break into this dance with us, trying to get us to know that the one who created us knows exactly who we are and loves us. These past three Sundays, we've been talking about Jacob. You'll remember back in the first week, we talked about his early life. Jacob had a bad reputation from the day he was born. His name meant supplanter. He came out of the womb clinging to the heel of his 
twin older brother, and his parents told that story over and over and over again to everyone who would listen. So it should be no surprise that Jacob grew up to be exactly who they told him he was. He deceived his older brother Esau and his father Isaac as well, and he ran off with the family fortune. On the run, Jacob had a dream during which God takes this broken and fearful young man Jacob and tells him that there is a better life waiting for him. He doesn't need to continue this life of deception, for God has good things in store for him. Like Jacob's dream, many of us have a vision in young adulthood of how we hope our lives will turn out. Success, good fortune, meaningful work. No doubt Jacob woke up that morning, remembered the dream that he had, and he walked out of camp with a vision of how his life was going to be. But then his life got in the way. He spent the next 14 years working, getting married, getting married again, having children, amassing wealth. And then a decade and a half down the road, Jacob has another dream. It's something like the first one, but it's adjusted for the man he is at 40 instead of the man he was at 26. This time, Jacob is sleeping when all of a sudden a man shows up and the two of them begin to wrestle. The man is a good match for Jacob and they wrestle all night long. Jacob gets the man in a grip that he can't escape and holds on tightly in just that spot. The man strikes Jacob on his hip and gives him an injury that he'll have the rest of his life so that he will never forget this dream. Over the course of that long wrestling match, it, draw, it dawns on Jacob that this man anticipates his every move and almost seems to be toying with him. It's, it has to be God. It's the same God that met him on another night 14 years before. Jacob has grown up now. He's rich, he's married, he's a father, but something about his life is incomplete. And it's time to get back to that dream that he left behind. So before he lets the man out of his grasp, Jacob asks for a blessing and God gives it to him. God blesses him by calling him a new name. Not Jacob's supplanter, but Israel, meaning one who has struggled with God. No longer branded with that burdensome name of his childhood, that insistence that he is a deceiver, it's time for Jacob, Israel, to start over and to get on living the life God created him to live. It's an amazing gift God gives to Jacob, Israel. 
A chance to put behind him the destructive self-image he has been carrying around. And we all have these. They're usually a combination of what the world tells us and what we then start telling ourselves. You're a man, so you don't get to have emotions. You're a mom, so you don't get to mess up. You're a coward because of that thing that happened when you were a teenager. You're a failure because of that thing that happened at work or with your marriage. The possibilities are endless, these brands that we give to ourselves, these messages we tell ourselves about who we are. And the message of today's story is simple and current, even though the story is incredibly old. God doesn't want us stuck in these old definitions of who we are. In this story, God knows and accepts Jacob as he is so that Jacob can become who he so deeply wants to be. With God, you don't have to wear that disguise you put on for everyone else, for God knows exactly who you are and God loves you for all of the places you've been God loves you for who you are so that God can help you find out who you are going to be. So here's how the story ends. Jacob wakes up from that dream and he hears that Esau... The brother, the older brother that he once deceived, Esau is marching toward him through the wilderness and his army is with him. You may remember that while Jacob is the trickster of the two brothers, Esau is the hunter and the fighter. So on the open field of battle, Jacob is afraid. Jacob splits his family and his wealth into two different groups and sends them off into different directions, hoping that if Esau massacres one group, at least half of his family and his fortune will survive. And then expecting to be shamed and to have to beg for his life, he walks out onto the battlefield to meet his brother Esau. Who embraces him? Apparently Esau has spent the last 14 years growing up himself. Though we don't hear his story, somewhere along the way Esau learned the value of forgiveness Esau too has married, raised children, accumulated wealth, built an army, and he seems to have realized that all of these flocks and these herds are what he are more than he will ever need. But he also knows that he still has no brother. And Esau welcomes Jacob back into his life and buries the conflict between them. 
While Jacob is the protagonist of this story, Esau is the hero. It's Esau's benevolence that keeps this family together. Jacob has met God twice over the course of the story, but it is Esau who behaves with the grace and generosity of God. It's Esau that restores love to this broken family. We need both of the brothers who are in this story. We need Esau to draw us into the reality that there really are forgiving people in the world who make the world go round. Whether you've been deeply wronged by a brother or a parent or a spouse or someone at work, we all need to know that there are people in this world who forgive in ways that are beyond belief and that many times this world moves forward because of those people. And one of them might be you. And we need Jacob. We need Jacob because many of us aren't quite Esau yet. We're still a little bit too broken, a little too stuck in that old definition of who we are and who we might be. And we need Jacob's story so that we don't give up. So that we won't keep thinking that God only loves people who are perfect. Jacob shows up so that God finds ways to work in our lives. That's what we're shown. Jacob shows us that God loves us as we are so that we can find out who we're going to be. It's an old story, but its meaning is as well relevant and as widespread as they come. And there's an old hymn that many of you have probably heard before, but didn't know was about this story, and we'll sing it this morning. It's called, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, and it includes this funny line that people occasionally ask their pastors about. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come. An Ebenezer? It's a stone monument. It's a little pile of rocks you set up in the wilderness. You may have seen it one yourself as you're out on a hike. Jacob builds one in his story. He does it to remember the place where God met him, where God told him he was loved and accepted and that he had a future. Jacob builds it so that he will never forget. He builds it in that first dream and it's still there 14 years later to remind him that God loves him still. And this story is there for all of us. Jacob builds that monument so that he will know that God is not done with him yet. And we tell the story so that you will all know that neither is God done with you.